my concern is that, you know, I don't want us to be um, stuck by just dealing with COVID. And we must deal with COVID. It's got lots of issues of hygiene and health and people are anxious and we've got to deal with all of that. But, you know, that could lead us to be very aggressive in terms of yes. aggressive rather in terms of design, of thinking, of space. And it could, I'll be provocative, play into the hands of people who want things to stay as they are. Oh, it's all happening this week. It is all happening. So did you have a chance to look at the article that I mentioned the other day? Yeah, New Zealand's broken education system. I'm sure lots of our listeners may have a different opinion. Yeah, so um, there's been a new damning research report come out from, um, she's a British uh, teacher and ex-principal, a deputy deputy principal I should say and it's about how we're deluded in our learner-led approach um, because of the declining educational performance in the OECD and yeah. So, but it's been in the Herald and education experts like John Hattie have waded in. And, yeah, they uh, have. And others. And also, there's some very strong opinions. So we'll put a link in it because the link to the article is interesting in itself. But then there's another link to the actual document where everybody's kind of wading in on their opinions. Mm. Educators from New Zealand around what they think's worked, what hasn't worked. Obviously, it's a different experience for everybody, but it is very interesting reading. Well, debate is healthy, right? I think so. It's good yeah. to good to know, you know, challenge. Mm your own beliefs um and then so the um other great news is vic schools are finally opening fantastic this week um Mm -hmm. so after 20 weeks out of the classroom it's hard it's really hard so it's Mm. uh the the juniors going back and then the obviously the seniors the last two years have got all their exams coming up and then the following week the rest are returning so we wish everybody a really happy and healthy return to term four and we hope that it all remains normal for you at this end of the year absolutely and uh new zealand election coming up next Have, last couple yes of weeks. So did you get your voting early yep oh good man mm. i haven't done it yet mm. but we were allowed to go to the polls two weeks early which is mm. kind of exciting so mm. if you haven't voted already and you're in new zealand get voting so we've got a bit of a treat this week we do. Who have we got on the show this week, Bill? Terry White, UK best educator, author, education consultant, writer of Planning Learning Spaces. Um, he's just got so much wisdom, hasn't he? He does. He does. He's um, He was a really great man to interview, and we're really lucky to have him on the show. He's um, associated with Sandra Jenkins, who we interviewed on Freeman's Bay, and also Murray Hudson, who we interviewed from Gretnell. So it feels like a really nice mm-hmm. piece of the puzzle to be continuing with and it's quite challenging again we're, we're asking the big questions we are we are we're not shy of the big questions so yeah, yeah. yeah we hope you enjoy part one of this interview so kia ora. we would love to welcome terry white all the way from the united kingdom to the learning lab uh, so for those who aren't aware of terry and his work he's had a lengthy illustrious career he's a polymath he's taken him all around the world in education and learning space design he's been a head teacher principal worked with some of education's greatest minds and alongside government supporting modernization of schools member of um or we founding member of the association of learning environments for for uh, uk europe yes yes um co-author of the Bible, uh, the, the the latest Bible, Planning Learning Spaces, one of my favourite books, uh, Learning Space Consultant, and um, you've got, gone into furniture design as well, Terry. Yes, I have. I guess it's because um, my background, I'll probably pick up in a minute, is that um, because all my learning as a teacher and as a student was very hands-on, 
I've got to the point of when I meet a problem, I want to actually look at what it needs to do a bit like Steve Jobs. I'm not a Steve Jobs, but actually the functionality of what something needs to do drives me. So if I can't find it out there, you know, firmware or somebody else or whatever, then I'll sit down and design it by talking to the staff about what they need and the students about what they need. And then we'll design it. And I've done about eight to 10 bespoke pieces of furniture to make that happen. Wow. Form, form following function. Absolutely correct. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And if more of us did that, I guess we might be uh, furthered around this progressive road, you know, but there we go. Going slightly off track, I was just talking to Kelly that, you know, with choice and using furniture as affordances, it feels almost with COVID that people are now beginning to use furniture as a method of control again. And it's just so anathema. Well, it seems to me, yes. I mean, that's one of your topics, isn't it, actually? You know, I'd be thinking about looking through COVID and I think that, you know, we can learn. But the trouble is, I think it's forcing many people to turn the clock backwards. Yeah. You know, actually, it's forcing us to be regressive. And I think the trouble about that is that it, it takes away the, the important part, I think, furniture and interior design has on the comfort of a learning space, you know? Yes. And so I think it's almost like, making it more difficult for us to demonstrate the value but mm. actually it's just where you sit <laughs> as opposed to you know how you can be enabled to do things differently with the right choice and in the right way but that's something which i feel very passionately about and i guess we'll pick it up a bit later but yeah i mean i think at the moment um my concern is that you know i don't want us to be um stuck by just dealing with covid and we must deal with covid it's got lots of issues of hygiene and health and people are anxious and we've got to deal with all of that but you know that could lead us to be very aggressive in terms of yes. aggressive rather in terms of design of thinking of space and it could i'll be provocative play into the hands of people who want things to stay as they are mm. yeah. You know, yeah yeah who have a vested interest of keeping as it is because that's the way it's been so you know let's go back to more ordered and controlled learning and that is happening in some countries as you two know but yeah. Yeah. So um, I'd like to start off with, because of that amazing introduction of yours, I want to maybe touch on what's been your favourite part of your career so far. Okay. So I guess because I trained as a teacher mm. uh, and therefore all my thinking is around learning and teaching into design. And I moved into headship and design later in life, part of my long career, as you say, on that uh, introduction. But um, so I guess as a teacher, um, as a young teacher in Birmingham, which is where I started to teach, I recognised that young people could actually play a big part in education. You know, th this was an urban area. It was a challenged area in Birmingham then, lack of opportunity. And being thrown in front of a class and getting to excite them about mathematics and to get engaged with them when actually they wanted to leave and go to work, because that was the culture at the time, was a challenge. And you know, in teaching and developing lots of projects with them as a young teacher, I quickly found that if I chose maths through something that interested them, they actually became quicker to understand as almost a PBL approach. So, so I guess my, one of those influences was engaging young people, you know, and I suppose a, a very informative moment for me was struggling with a particular group around angles and space uh, and choosing then to think, okay, right, we're not next to Aston Villa football stadium here. Let's talk about a football pitch and let's talk about a football pitch and how it's laid out and deliberately laying it out incorrectly for space. Yeah. Because, well, suddenly a whole thing, that isn't what I thought, we don't think about football, sir. You know, I thought, well, actually, 
and but the thing was as we started to redo it with the angles and the space and i made the goal area too big and that would be easy to score and all that stuff mm. and we started to work it through in challenging the angles we suddenly had one young guy who was really difficult get up in the classroom walk across the classroom sit down to another group because i allowed them to move about and just say alan this is how you do it you know and i'd taken 40 minutes to try and get <laughs> to get to that point and suddenly here's somebody helping somebody else because they felt they had permission to do it so mm. i guess that was you're asking me about influences that was a major influence in my thinking about the value of young people and teachers actually not having the sole control of the knowledge and the learning and the skills so that was i suppose very strong mm. i guess the other one would be that as i moved into more senior positions and leadership roles. And I've, I've always worked in community education because I believe that schools are part of communities. So I've deliberately chosen schools that have been community schools. And my first vice principal post was a very progressive community college um, in Leicestershire, which has a history of um, very forward thinking learning. And um, the role was the first in the country. And I had a role just on professional development and leadership of learning. I didn't have to teach. I didn't have to do anything else. I just had to focus on building the capacity of the staff to support them through the change processes. And that was very, very informative for me because it actually demonstrated that staff are our resource and our capacity along with our kids and our community. And if you build up that capacity and invest with it and work with them, a lot of the issues that they struggle with are actually complete so actually investing in professional learning as i would call it as opposed to staff development uh really paid off and, and and the other thing about that particular one was there and this has informed my way of thinking uh you were interviewed by staff community and young people so the final interview board for me was a group of people including a 14 year old who was there to make the choice along with the staff wow that's amazing and you know, well, I believe they made the right choice, wouldn't I? But you know what I mean? But on the other hand, but there were many people, there were many candidates who backed out. Yeah. You know, well, you know, we know better than the kids. I'm not saying that's everybody, but there's that tone about, you know, you're the student, I'm the teacher. So, so that was quite strong with me. And I guess the other thing is, is the idea that um, in developing my career in, in design, that I guess seeing the fact of bringing together educators, architects, design professionals uh, as part of the front-end thinking of a design process and actually making that the, the important part of it. I've seen in my work that that pays dividends, mm. whereas many people won't invest the time or the space or the dialogue in that. And they bring in, you know, people like Firmbrand people far too late in the process. Mm. Mm. Suddenly it will fit it out, but actually without any thinking about to the agility, the use, the style, whether it's going to have to move or not, all those things that is important about furniture needs to be at the front end of the thinking, especially in the sorts of spaces that you guys have in New Zealand where they have to be adaptable and things have to move around. So, so actually developing A4LE in the UK and Europe where our role was to make sure it wasn't just architects, you know, it wasn't just architects talking to teachers or students and designers, it was at, and researchers, it was actually, they were the core element of our thinking. So all of those events have those. And we've had really great events that are day workshops where we've designed new schools with teams of staff around that way. So that I found um, a really great achievement in making that happen. Mm. And 
it helps to demonstrate to our government that if actually you do invest in the front end and you do it in a vital integrated way, the payoff is really strong. Mm. And actually, rather than extending it, which our government sometimes think, you know, consultation takes time, mm. um, they recognise that if they actually get there, get integrated, get people doing things, uh, they've got a much better proposition about the process where people can bring their skills in early and we get a better solution. So I'm sorry that's running a bit over some of those things, but there are probably a few things. Well, I was just wanted to touch on, you talked about schools being part of the community and you talk quite a lot about local learning communities. So can you talk a little bit more about that and, and how they can be achieved? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I've, as I said to you, all, my, all the roles I've wanted to take up, whether they've been urban or, or rural, have been in community schools because I think I... I feel that you know you cannot separate a school from its local learning community. And actually, I think in the UK particularly over the last 10 years, they have become separated. This is a school, it might have community on its front billboard, but actually in my terms, if you're a community school, you're there for your community. Mm. You serve your community because you have mutual interest, but your community have a right to expect things of you in terms of provision and locality and resource. And so I think that, so for me, community learning is important, you know, and I mean, both of my community colleges, which were quite big, we, you know, we have three-year-olds and we have 93-year-olds. And so we deal with that whole range of activity around life, you know, and I think that, um, so for me, developing strategies that take the school to the community and bring the community into the school and designing it for that to work has to be the, the way I think schools have been developing but i think for all sorts of political reasons you know some of those things have been shut down a bit you know and actually they they've not opened themselves up in the way they should so i think that's a missed opportunity so i think the other thing about it for me is that in all the community schools i've had as a leader we've created things like uh, community contracts so you might work for four days within the school and then you'd be paid to outreach for the other day uh, and you get time off against that time. So you know you're working within your school and in your community. And so part of joining my colleges, it would always be there's an expectation that some of your time, you know, if it's an evening and you've got kids, you can't do that, but you can take an afternoon off mm. and go and work in the local community, you know, and, 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 and in a way, I don't think we're innovatory enough to think about how staff can exchange and change role in terms of supporting community activity. And the third thing I'd say is that I think we've got to um, you know, wise up about, there are lots of learning opportunities in communities. And I think we, in building those relationships, we actually can create much more outreach mm. of part school, part community. And obviously later we talk of COVID and it's, that's developed that, but you know, I, from my thinking, and you know, the Danes do a lot of this, you know, they would say that, well, you know, we can spend at least 20% of our time as probably a 14 to 16 year old outside of the school because we're trusted to do that. Some might be online, but some may be a sports facility. Yeah. And there are some schools of course that would share. So I think there's a, there's a whole community dynamic here that, that needs to be much stronger. And I think stay local and stay engaged around your community, I think is a very powerful learning process and engages parents and I think, therefore, builds, you know, a much better way of doing the education. So, so for me, it's always been schools within the community. And, and that's why I'd use the term local learning community, because I think it's, it's best when it's local. Terry, one, one thing that seems 
to be a, a common theme, both from your career highlights and um, talking about being within the community, is this marvellous um, relationship building and high trust models that that you you trust and you expect from your young people and, and from your stakeholders um, engagement and then they repay with that engagement and, and it's sort of, it's very emancipating isn't it, it's very freeing that, that you get such energy building out from the, that involvement and, and the engagement of all the parties, it, it's just magical really I think it is and I think our challenge you know, when we're talking in this conversation is that in many countries of the world uh, people say that, but actually when you go and visit the school, you don't see it happening. Mm. You know, in a sense, the vision doesn't match the practice. And I think for me, that's why the vision and ethos statements of a school are so critical. Because when I go into a school, if somebody says to me, we, we believe in student empowerment and student voice, you know, I, I don't want to go into a classroom and, and wait to see people put their hands up mm-hmm. to actually go and do something in the space. I know sometimes there needs to be a control. But I think that what we're getting at here is that it's actually engaging people in a way that they feel they have a valuable contribution to make. And I think that's true for staff mm-hmm. as well as young people. And I think that um, I think many countries say it, but actually, you know, not quite there. And I think we need to get better at really valuing it mm-hmm. in, in terms of what we do, because I think that has a big impact on design. And I think it has a big impact upon transferable skills i think it has a big impact upon the way staff i mean staff see things and perhaps we'll touch on leadership later but i feel you know if you have a school where you pass decisions down from the top down through the staff they will pass those decisions down to the students Hmm. so actually we need a much more flattened dispersed leadership model uh to actually make that work read an, an article this week about a, um, a British maths teacher and she's doing a research and she's a, been a deputy principal in the UK and she's wrote a big research report on how New Zealand is failing its kids because they're not achieving in the OECD and literature and um, maths and, and said this learner-led, you know, student-first um, approach is failing uh, your kids in New Zealand. We need to go back to, which made me as a parent really sad. Mm, it really yes. did. Well, you see, I think I think that's the case because what happens is people going back to trying to make the education system work on a skewed set of values. Mm. You know, and, and if I was saying to that person, I'd love to, you know, is the fact, well, you know, if you want critical skills, decision-making, creative thinking, if you want all those things, teamwork and collaboration as part of that experience, then you've got to, you've got to have those as part of the, of the curriculum experience within the school, and therefore you need to find a way of putting time to value those. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the UK, and this is the point I would pick up there, is that what's happening is, rather than doing that, they're reducing the curriculum and spending more time on the academic stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, well, yeah, okay, that is going to improve it a bit, but I'm not sure the rounded individual that we would want as parents, you know, or teachers or communities will get there. So I think that I think there's an interesting point about um, the way in which um, a government or a strategy needs to lead. I don't believe that um, decision-making and policy are always going to get through easily to schools, but I think governments need to value what it is they're asking schools to do. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that that it seems to me that a government needs to say, 
we believe in a new balance curriculum and therefore we want to do these things, but we're expecting to see this happen as well. Because mm. I think as soon as you do that, whoever's written that piece on that, you can't do that without a different blend, a different way of working. And, and I think, you know, that then liberates, that unleashes learning to me. And I think that's what we should be about. So I think we're still controlling. Mm. Mm. Yeah, rather than unleashing we should be measuring what we value rather than valuing that which is easy to measure yes absolutely and and i think you know um you know i've as a teacher and a head teacher i, I have sat in groups and i actually know on the other end of this that that some of those kids are actually underachieving by being able just to play it back yeah because i found all through my life as a, in community education that people do develop at different stages you know, that they do suddenly get it and they can be excited and motivated and all those things, which is why I think community learning is really good because you can re-engage mm -hmm. if you have a good relationship with an organisation that's helping you learn. So I think, you know, and so I think it's back to your point. There is a tendency, I think, to push backwards and your earlier comment about COVID, you know, could just increase that, you know, sit them down, drill them, <laughs> mm -hmm. broadcast to them. And I think the other thing is that I picked up recently and, and you two are probably aware of it is you know, some of that research coming out from John Hattie uh, around the, the teachers he's interviewed, mm. uh, around the amount of time that they spend talking at kids. I don't know whether you pick that one up, you know, but that figure of 89% of teachers spend 89% of their time talking at people. Now, you know, I mean, that in terms of the youngster being engaged in that process and actually contributing and actually really understanding whether they've got it or not. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, 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 broadcast, 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 you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's easy, isn't it? You, you know, but I, so I think leadership at the school level um, must actually start to, to value and support the staff to understand that, you know, you can move in that way. You, you just need to actually share the fact that, of what you're valuing. And that takes me back to getting the, the culture and the ethos of the school right. Mm. So, you know, so, so if, uh, you know, if I'm a parent, I know that, that okay, we're going to do this, but we are also going to spend time on these things. And I think, therefore, if you share that with the community, I think there's a chance that, you know, because that might be more challenging with certain youngsters, because, you know, you, you're going to actually want them to do other things. And they, that, you know, I don't think they will fail, but they, that there may be more challenges within the system, especially with special needs. I think sharing it with your community and understanding it, I think, is more likely to support innovation, mm. more likely to support a bit of risk-taking, you know, and I think there is a little bit of risk-taking, not with the interests of young people in their futures, but in trying to think differently about how we do things. I mean, we're 20 years into this century, and people talk about 21st century learning yeah. all the time. Do you feel that we're actually delivering on that? Do you feel that we're educating our kids in the right way and they're in the correct spaces to get them ready for this kind of new world that they're going uh, to I mean, I, I don't. And that's one of my biggest, that's my sadness. I mean, I think we've made uh, great advances in many areas, but I still don't think we've got to that balanced curriculum mm. that lots of people talk about, you know? I mean, okay. I mean, you know, longevity in this game for me, but, you know, I, I've been working out in America as a 25 year old and working and talking about skills for the future, competencies, decision-making, collaborative working, you know, the ability to transfer your skills. And that formed a lot of my thinking. But, you know, as a head and a principal in England, developing those, you know, is very challenging. And I think that 
we've been talking about these things for a long time and we talk about the need to have these skills for the future but actually i don't think we do as much we, i don't actually think we do different countries will do different things but we might value them but i don't think we're doing enough to actually implement them you know and i think while we're still in as john hattie might say broadcast mode where we're firing out content to people and we're saying you know you're going to get hold of this you know uh, and uh, you're going to play it back to me and if you're very bright you'll play it back to me quite well so that's not a stress for you but if you struggle a bit you won't be able to play it back to me or play the game and actually you know that that 40 or 45 percent that can play the game the others can't so actually we're underachieving with those kids so your question about are we getting there I, I actually don't think we are you know I think we I mean testing and metrics would be the good example wouldn't they you know we we measure everything on the the academic ability of a young person to play back stuff okay. we've asked them to play back to us right so we teach the test so the important skills you've just mentioned that people need to have um, we don't value because we don't assess them. So, you know, we, we do this content-driven stuff. We then say to ourselves, okay, so these other things that we want, all those other things, we might think, okay, well, they're quite good, or they might be good for a project day. But unless we can find a way of valuing them and balancing them in the experience of the daily life of a young person and finding a way to give uh, credence to it, the academic stuff's always going to sit there as 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 the norm and the metric and i think that so the answer to your question probably is that i don't think you know i find it very sad that we're not i mean i think there are lots of things happening and developing and lots of countries and schools are getting there and they're working their way through but if you ask me is it a trend uh, you know i don't think we're there you know and i i think we're we are doing some really good things but i don't think that key element about um it's a bit it's the elephant in the room really we're not really finding our way of challenging this metric idea that, you know, how good you are in performing on content drives the way we do things. We mm. teach to the test, we deal with, I don't know how, we, how New Zealand fares on this, but you know, at secondary level in the UK, if we get 50% through, it's okay. You know, the other 50%, well, you know, and I should think we should at least get, you know, 90% of young people getting some accreditation across the range. I think there'll be 10% that will always need extra help and extra support in developing their approach. So I don't think we're getting there. I guess what, what is my interest is the polarization that's gone on, you know, that, that people seem to be jumping into camps politically, socially. Um, it's almost like a, a mission to to break down these camps and 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 to reestablish reestablish trust and and for for the great majority of people who look for what ha we have in common with people rather than what divides us is yeah. is the mission isn't it really I think it is and I think and I think we can do much more internationally on this you know because you you your curriculum starting point is the right starting point but you know it takes time to get there Scandinavia and other parts of the world where they have the same starting point, but actually haven't had a little bit of political influence to try and, and move the direction in the right way. And I'm not saying it should be a, yeah, it's how much push, how much pull, you know, in, in terms of this, but you're absolutely right. For me, it comes down to um, this flattened hierarchy. You know, I mean, if, the best way I can describe it is 
that if I go into a school, um, especially a secondary school, but it's in junior schools, I know you have all through, I go in and I see a notice board and I see head, deputy head, whatever, 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 and I've got this hierarchy facing me, mm. right? And that's okay because people need to know, you know, who's doing what. But actually, I think the future to get through to the point you're making is that everybody has a role in leading learning. And actually, you know, you can have somebody that has a specific role. But unless we flatten that and get everybody engaged in leading the learning of the culture of what we're doing, and that's our school and our community and our politicians and our local groups, and that everybody is valued and that process is there around our mission, I think that's the way that we need to go. But I think that takes leadership at all levels. And I think for me, to get through what you're saying, it's the leadership at all levels. And I say at all levels, I don't mean that hierarchically, that everybody, whatever they're doing, mm. can lead. And the young people can lead and be valued to lead. That, that to me is really very important. So I think you're right. I think, the, I think for me, um, I've loved the work I do and the schools I support in New Zealand, because I think there's a, a willingness for people to want to work through it. I just think there's, there needs to be more support and more articulation and an improved language of what is valued and that needs to be out there and it needs to help to shape the experience and also the pedagogy and the use of space and the other thing i'd say is i think we need to put more into research and we need to take more from all the research stuff that is being done in australasia but also the existing research that talks about you know the gains that are made when people collaborate the gains when people share the gains when students are involved in in organizing their own learning and i think at the moment I don't think we're good enough. I mean, speaking personally, you know, as a teacher, but past teacher, but I think we, we need to make that more explicit. Need to tell us. So around the, work, around the work you two do, in terms of, I think we've got lots of research buried on good classroom practice, but it's the old classroom model practice. I don't think we have a lot of research. I know that there's a lot happening in Australia around um, the research we should do to demonstrate that actually when we go into a space, we need to look at the outcomes and what we've done to get the outcomes. And we have to look at the post-occupancy yeah. to see that actually, could we have done that better? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm completely with you. Um, but I think you've got a, you're in a very strong position to, you know, to do it. We hope you enjoyed listening to Terry as much as we enjoyed speaking with him. Tune in in two weeks time and we'll be sharing the second part of our interview as we ask the biggest questions about what's going on in the next 20 years and what does that look like we need to rethink what we do in school because there's lots of things we can do online but there are there are things we can't do online that we now would need to do in school yeah so i would put much more emphasis in the design of the school on the social the emotional the team building looking through covid obviously yeah i want to do team building i want to work with people i want to have discussions i want to follow things up Remember to subscribe and share this podcast with your networks. And if you'd like to feature um, on the program, we'd love to have you. Or you have an idea of someone you think would be a great guest, then please get in touch. So until next time, take care. Ka kite anon kia koutou from New Zealand.